Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. Our guest today is Bennett Chipola, the newly named publisher and current editor-in-chief of Chalkbeat. Chalkbeat is a nonprofit news organization committed to covering one of America's most important stories, the effort to improve schools for all children, especially those who have historically lacked access to a quality education. Bennett's experiences are extensive, ranging from a research editor role at Cosmopolitan to reporting on the Vatican to editing for a number of different online publications. She's been executive editor, editor-in-chief, and now publisher for Chalkbeat, working there for the last three years. Welcome, Bennett. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. All right. So before we get into the specifics, I always like to work broad strokes first. Um, I guess I would just ask for an overview. How does Chalkbeat do what it does and, and what exactly does it do? Yes. Great place to start. Uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, our lens is focused on the nearly 30 million children who live near or below the poverty line. Uh, also black and brown children, children from other marginalized communities, those kids who have not historically had access to a quality education. And our focus is on how they are being served or in many cases, not served. Our ultimate goal is impact. So while we love it when our stories reach a lot of people, that's not our ultimate goal. We are constantly asking how our journalism can inform the debates happening in education and also spur decision makers, educators, parents, citizens to actions that lead to those better outcomes for all children. Um, so we are now about a 40 person strong newsroom across eight local bureaus and a national desk. Uh, we say that we're local first and that means we are not dictating the story from central command uh, all of our communities have a lot of similarities, but they also have differences, and we want to respect that. So we're now present in uh, Colorado, Chicago, Detroit, Indiana, New York, Newark, Philadelphia, and Tennessee, uh, and again, with the National Desk as well. And that's very extensive. Um, what is your role in that? And tell us about the Truck Beat leadership team. Uh, I am currently editor-in-chief and uh, moving into a new publisher role probably in the new year because we are looking for a new editor-in-chief. Please check our website for that awesome job description. Uh, my new role will be sitting at the nexus of editorial and revenue, uh, connecting the newsroom needs with opportunities for organizational growth. It's not the kind of typical publisher role you might think of. I hear publisher and I think of an old white man very rich with a top hat and a pocket watch. That is not me. You know, our, our team is female-led. Our entire leadership team is six women. Uh, we're really proud of that. Um, it's, not a, it's not a slight against men, but I think it is a really refreshing change in the media industry to have a female-led organization. Um, and we, you know, we, we're really proud of that. Eight of the nine guests that I've had so far on the podcast uh, have been women who lead or work in uh, extensive roles for, their, uh, for the groups that they work for. One personal-ish question for you. You've had a number of extremely interesting jobs. Uh, what stands out about this one compared to others, and why did you want to work in education journalism? First, I, I, I have always appreciated my own winding path, and uh, that has really worked for me. 
I didn't grow up wanting to be a journalist. I know a lot of people did, and I respect that. That wasn't my path. Um, I fell in love with Chalkbeat's mission and Chalkbeat's people. I left journalism for about nine years and I was working in digital startups and I learned so much there and I'm really grateful for that experience. I got laid off in um, early 2016 and I was consulting for about a year and a half and that's when I met our CEO and co-founder Elizabeth Green. And even before we knew there would be an actual job opening that I would eventually apply for, I was really open with her that I wanted my next career move to be one that would provide more meaning to me. And of course, everyone defines that differently. I was thinking of it in terms of service and how do we serve local communities? How do we serve families with our reporting? How do we serve the education community with our reporting? I've heard you talk about this in a couple of other forums uh, and I've heard Elizabeth Green talk about this as well. What's the state of education reporting in the United States? You know, education has never been the most glamorous beat. Uh, at a lot of places, traditionally, it was seen as a stepping stone to something bigger and better, quote unquote, right? Whether that was the cops beat or the politics beat. And it was also often really gendered, right? Um, it, was, it was women on the education beat. So we have seen this hollowing out of local news over the past couple of decades and the education beat in particular, you can find all kinds of stats on our website and our strategic plan about how very few local communities have a really robust uh, education reporting core anymore. And we are filling that gap. Um, in the last seven months with the pandemic, I think we have all seen, I hope we have all seen how central education is to our society, both in its current functioning, but also in its you know, in, in, in our future success as a, as a democracy. And so we at Chalkbeat have been really, really proud to step up and meet that moment. And, you know, it's been nonstop. We are just working our butts off, even as we are all dealing with a host of family and personal challenges related to remote working and kids being at home and other effects of the pandemic. If people want to get a sense of the importance of education, they can read a story that ran in the New York Times that your group uh, partnered on. One thing that I was thinking about as I was reading through the site the last couple of days uh, in looking at some of the stories, and just to cite a, a couple, you have a series, Freshman Year at a Distance, where you have a piece on the Michael Jordan of Detroit High School Choir, which I enjoyed. Uh, it shows how, uh, that shows how performing arts have been impacted by the coronavirus, uh, why Colorado students are taking SATs, even though it's not mandatory, and of course, how the heck teachers are doing distance learning and in-person instruction at the same time. And it occurred to me, your story meeting, meetings must be fascinating. Um, how do you pick what you cover? That's a really good question. Um, our story meetings are a lot of fun. And, you know, we have a weekly planning meeting on Mondays with all of the managing editors, the bureau chiefs, and our story editors, as well as our data editor and our engagement editor. And then we have daily stand-ups, uh, a slightly smaller group, but Tuesdays through Fridays, that's more of a, like, what's coming today. Um, we, we always want to be looking ahead. I think, you know, in a lot of newsrooms, you're living in the moment and you're responding to news or responding to events around you, we do annual goal setting uh, across the organization, not just in the newsroom. And it's really important to us that we pause, that we take stock and that we are proactive, right? We are serving readers by not just responding to events in the moment, but thinking about sy systems, right? Systemic change and how can we 
actually make an impact. Okay, so that goes to something that I had done a couple of episodes ago. We talked to someone with the Solutions Journalism Network. Uh, what kind of things does your group do that are solutions, like specific examples of stories that are solutions oriented? We are big fans of Solutions Journalism Network. Uh, we, we consider them our friend, uh, uh, you know, within the journalism industry. They often run our stories on their website. And, um, you know, we, we think it's important that we're not, we're not only covering negative things, uh, that we are looking at solutions. You mentioned how teachers are teaching in this moment. And I think that's been something that we've been able to do, especially through our How I Teach feature, uh, which is a long running feature. And it is exactly how, what, what you think it would be from the title, which is we interview a teacher um, on their practice. And especially, you know, over the past several months, hearing from teachers how they're living this moment and sharing their experiences with others. Sure, some of it is um, really challenging and some of it's really uplifting. There's a, there's a piece from several months ago, an art teacher, um, and just the way he was teaching art remotely, it was so cool. It was really cool. Um, I'm looking at a piece from mid-September, a collaboration with AP about the racial divide in education across the country. How have you covered social justice issues as they relate to education? Yeah, I'm glad that you are, are bringing up that piece. Uh, that was the fruit of a long-running effort uh, with data collection, a nationwide survey on school reopening. Uh, it was led by the AP and, and we were a partner there. And then as we were analyzing the data, really what jumped out at us is, is there in the headline, right? That students of color are learning remotely more than white students. Uh, and what does that mean for exacerbating already present inequities in education? Uh, we have a story up, I think from yesterday that uh, reinforces this, right? That the majority of students are learning online right now, but that the racial divide is very sharp that 75% of black parents, 68% of Hispanic parents said their child was learning online. Only 48% of white parents said that their child was learning online. So that's really important to us uh, to cover that. And then in the wake of the protests around the police killing of George Floyd, we really came together as a team. We had a lot of internal conversations. One of the things that emerged from that was a student takeover that happened back in June. Uh, we really felt like this was a time to be elevating the voices of students around racial justice, uh, their thoughts, their hopes, their dreams, their actions, and how they think the system needs to change. Before the pandemic, what were, what were the kinds of things they were covering? We were covering the same story, to be yeah. honest. I mean, okay. you know, we're, we're still covering equity and inequity in education, and, and that hasn't changed. I think what has changed with the pandemic is that all of our bureaus are experiencing the same thing, right? In different ways. We're not all in the same boat. We're in different boats, but we're all kind of floating on the same very uncertain sea. Um, as I said, we, we go through annual goal setting, and that's a moment for us to think about the storylines that cut across places. And for this year, it was very obvious, right, what we were leaning into both the sort of logistical planning for the return to school in the fall, as well as how instruction might be changing money. <laughs> Budgets are always something that we're gonna be covering, but right now more than ever, state dollars are just evaporating. 
And as we have reported in the past, that has a really long tail of effect. Uh, we, we reported on what happened in the 2008 recession. And then racism, right? We are, one of those storylines is truly across all of our places because it's throughout America. How are we going to confront racism both in and out of the classroom? So Mention all of those things, you know, like we were already covering and I think they've just come into, into sharper focus. You mentioned the racial divide and just to reveal, to acknowledge something to the audience, I know that one of the topics in education pre-pandemic that was important was standardized tests and the uh, inequities in those. I went to a specialized high school in New York City and uh, there has been leading up to the pandemic a, and even I guess through it a little bit, a significant push to change the way that the examinations for Stuyvesant Bronx Science, Brooklyn Tech, those schools uh, admit their students. And I, I presume that, that there are variations of that certainly throughout the country that you've been paying close attention to. Absolutely. Any kind of school admission policy is something that we really cover very closely. And especially in New York, I mean, we, we were covering um, how kids get into not just high school, but middle school, right? And the changes that have happened in some of the districts in the city there. Um, this was also the focus and part of the podcast, Nice White Parents. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating. Um, it's probably not covered as much as it should be. And we, we really try to do that topic justice. And you know, you're bringing up something that is systemic. And as I said earlier, we want to be sure that we're responding in the moment uh, to events. The, the day after the, uh, the Breonna Taylor grand jury decision came out, we kind of fanned out across all of our markets. And again, wanted to talk to educators and students how they were uh, grappling with this moment. But we also want to make sure that we're covering the systemic racism that permeates all of our all of our um, institutions, including public education. And so testing, right, is one of those standardized testing how kids uh, move through the system, whether that means um, admissions into selective schools or gifted and talented programs. Um, we also did a piece last December. I don't know if you saw on great schools a school rating system. And one of our most recent impacts was that they have changed their uh, rating system to, um, you know, to, to be more equitable, you know, uh, to connect it, to connect the ratings a bit less with a student race and poverty. And this is important to cover, certainly. Uh, and you really, as a reader, you, have, I, you can't just read one story about it. You need to read a, a good number of them for it to really have a, a tangible impact. I know that's been true with me. What issues do your reporters run into when trying to do their work? Well, right now we're almost all remote and that uh, brings its own challenges. You know, it's hard not to be physically present in schools, for example. And, you know, we have really changed the way we're doing reporting. Um, other problems are always a lack of information or access, lack of transparency. You know, we're constantly filing uh, freedom of information requests for uh, various emails and documents. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's usually those, those kinds of obstacles. And who's the audience that you're writing to? Who do you find that your readership is? Most of our audience is, it's a mix of educators, people working at the school level, decision makers, so people in positions at a district level, a state level for the most part, 
superintendents, state legislators, education officials, and parents. Um, as I said earlier, we have also, you know, recently increased our efforts to elevate the voices of students because, my gosh, they're, they're overlooked a lot, but they are obviously central to the education story. The uh, Chalkbeat pub uh, publication about 14 months ago, the company shared its strategic vision for the next five years, strengthen, grow, connect, maximize, prepare, and teach. You'll be expanding potentially to as many as 18 communities. Uh, what more can you tell us about this plan and any adjustments that have made in, in, been made in the last eight months? We are really proud of and committed to that plan. We just launched our eighth bureau this past August in Philadelphia. There is, yes, a pandemic happening, but that doesn't stop the need for more education coverage in local communities. If anything, the coverage is shrinking. Uh, we still do have plans to expand further. Um, certainly the pandemic did make us pause for several months and figure out what our next moves were, but we are absolutely fundraising for growth. We don't have an exact timeline for our next bureaus, but we do still hope to hit that 18 bureau mark by 2025 or even earlier. Is there ever a plan or considered to, to have a Spanish language uh, component to what you do? I would love to provide more Spanish language reporting and translation as a start. Uh, one of our reporters in Denver, Yesenia Robles, does a weekly newsletter in Spanish and that's not enough. Uh, it's something we have certainly talked about. It's it's not something we've been able to prioritize with our current resources, but I do hope that we can invest more in that in the not too distant future. Um, our Chicago Bureau got some money uh, through the Institute for Nonprofit News um, through a grant that allows them to do more Spanish translations too. So those are you know, two examples of where we're, we're doing, but um, not enough. You mentioned fundings uh, and grants and fundraising. Where does Chuckbeat get funded? Most of our funding comes from philanthropy, and you can see a list of donors on our website. Everything is very, very transparent. There's no anonymity there. We really lean into local funders because that is, we've discovered the most sustainable way forward for our organization. It also really builds relationships within the community and people feel tied to the work. We also have a paid membership program and as well as earned revenues. So we have sponsorships of newsletters, uh, we run sponsored content, uh, dedicated emails and things like that. Part of our strategic plan also involves what we call our MARS mission, which stands for Mission Aligned Revenue Stuff. It's a very technical term. That, you know, that is a, a future project to develop content products that really do earn revenue, but that still fit our mission around educational equity and improving outcomes. Ben and Chipola, uh, two last questions for you. We always do a pay it forward at the end of uh, our episode. What advice would you have for someone who wants to get into education journalism? I would say that this is a great beat with so many different angles because you weave in policy, research, community, family, curricula, the future of the country, it's really fascinating. And as someone who came to it only three years ago, I consider myself just on the beginning of my journey learning about it. What is the experience level of the reporters that you have? It's a mix. We hire people right out of college or with you know a couple years of experience, right on up to senior level reporters with 20 years under their belt. 
We want to be a place that uh, welcomes different kinds of uh, experience levels and also provides support, especially to our earlier career reporters to build their skills and make connections and grow their careers. I mentioned the New York Times, I mentioned AP. Uh, this American Life was another recent partnership uh, that I got to listen to that was pretty cool. I wanna just transition to uh, the last thing, which is name another journalism organization, I just named a few, that you would like to salute. I would like to salute Scalawag, which is a journalism and storytelling organization um, that stands in solidarity with marginalized people in the South. They're a fantastic organization we, um, we've been wanting to work with them for a while on an event or something else. So maybe this will, this will spur collaboration. They're really fantastic. And I, I want to thank you for asking that question um, because it's, you know, it's a great feeling of community to be able to nominate someone else for a feature on your podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, ben, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Chalkbeat was an organization that I had circled when I started this podcast because I was so impressed with what they do. Their work covering education is journalism with a purpose. I highly recommend visiting their website. Pick a city, pick a story, and educate yourself on what they do. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole. Dr. Cole taught journalism at Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey, for more than 30 years. Teaching was his life's work. You could visit his office or call him at any time. The conversation would last at minimum an hour, and you'd always walk away feeling better about yourself than you did before the conversation started. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. If you're interested in following along with us, follow us on Twitter at Journalism Salute, S-A-L-U-T. There are more episodes to come. Thank you for tuning in.